0: episode four of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, You're joining me, Sophie McGinn, and my co-host Darren Bartholomew. I'm going to call him the co-host this time, seeing as we've got him on more than one episode. Darren, how are you doing?
1: I'm really good, guys. Thank you very much. I, I'm very glad for that honour. Thank you very much for stepping me up to the plate. No longer I feel <laughs> a guest anymore. However, we've had some great guests already and really look into this episode number four as well. Um, I'll let you introduce because I get all a bit jittery and nervous about this guy because he's one of my, um, strange to say, but my commentating legends that I've taken a lot of influence over, I should imagine, and, and, and love hearing from him and stuff like that. So, so far, I'll let you introduce him.
0: That's it. So we have got the voice of motocross and MotoGP over the years, Roger Warren. Hello, everybody. How are you doing, Roger?
2: Yeah, I'm fine. I'm the same as everybody else. I'm uh, stuck at home. Uh, I've done all the jobs. I've done all the decorating. I've polished my bike. I've done everything. And uh, now I'm just trying to sort of find something else to do and amuse myself. But hey, it's quite nice actually not chasing around everywhere. So uh, just trying to make best use of the downtime
0: that's it um so one of the the main reasons why we wanted to get you on the podcast Roger is um to find out a bit more of background info from you well one really because I'm sure you've got plenty of stories to tell from racing over the years um but more about what led you on the road that you're on now uh in the racing world how did you get started
2: uh, it's, it's a typical story of uh, most commentators. It's uh, I, I used to race. Um, I was a very lowly ACU junior. Um, did that for probably uh, eight, nine years. My, my elder brother got me into it. Um, he started racing um, when I was about three weeks old, apparently. That was when I went to my first race and trailed around after him mm-hmm. as a kid, um, sw- thrown in the back of a van. Um, going off racing with him week after week so that's how my love of motocross came um, they throw me in the back of the van normally kick me out about a mile down the road and say find your way in so you don't have to pay for you so <laughs> I, I was about 16 where I actually went through the main gate of a motocross meeting um, from there I got my own bike um, same as everybody else um, got myself financed to buy a bike and spent the next 10 years basically working to try and finance racing, spent all my money on my bike. Um, never any good, but loved it. Um, then by chance, I got to know some sidecar passengers down in Portsmouth, uh, George Skeets, Barry Williams, uh, people like that who were top of the, mm-hmm. in the sidecar business at the time. Um, and they said, come train in," because I used to go training every week. So I went to uh, first training session with them, thinking I'm Jack the lad, you know, solo rider. I'll show these boys a thing or two. Um, into it, I was outside throwing up because they absolutely mullered me and they weren't even breaking sweat. Um, these, these boys, <laughs> it always makes me chuckle a little bit when when over the winter you read um, stories of everybody saying, Oh, yeah, I've been in the gym, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm thinking, Yeah, you go down with those boys for a couple of sessions, then you know you've been working. These, these boys, mm-hmm. they're hard. So I, I love the training. Um, went into sidecars purely because, again, right, just chance of being in the right place. Somebody said, um, there's a race at the weekend. Somebody needs a passenger. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, okay. Never done it. Didn't have a clue. Got in the bike, went down the start straight, 30 sidecars bashing into you, knocking the crap out of you. And I'm thinking, what the hell have I done here? <laughs> Fell out three times on the first lap. Um, but that was it. Loved it. Following weeks, put my solo bike up for sale and started Um, Slightly less rubbish at that. I got up to British Championship Standard, did International Licence, did a few, absolutely loved it, but never got to the top level because I didn't have that extra 10% that, that those boys had. They were no, – nothing could defeat them. And I would get to a point and think, that's it, I've had enough. They would not. You, couldn't, you could not beat them, boys. So – Loved it. Made some friends for life because the sidecar community are are like that. It's such a tight knit community. Um, loved doing the racing. Loved going first time I've been racing abroad, so I got the abroad experience. That sort of stuff. That led me to um, Langrish Ken Hall Trophy, which was my, was my local race. Uh, went there one year. John mm-hmm. Old, who was the legendary commentator at the time said um, there was a Psycho Internationals car, uh, class there, and he said, you've done Psychos, here's a microphone, go and interview those boys. So they lined all the racers up, um, and I'm going down the line asking them some inane, stupid questions, which was going okay until I got to a German crew who I asked some <coughs> complicated question to, um, and the guy just smiled at me and then launched into a long conversation in German because he didn't speak English. Um, I'd never checked to see whether he spoke English or not. So that uh, sort of taught me something straight away. Um, Following year, uh, John Mould unfortunately had passed away, so they needed a commentator. So they said, do you want to have a go? I said, yeah, great. Um, And uh, they said, you're working with a guy um, from Southampton. So this uh, vision in a white suit, white jeans, shirt turned up, long flowing hair, Straight out of an 80s porn movie, which turned out to be Paul Hardy. Um, <laughs> came up there next to me and uh, we worked. We had such a good time. It clicked um, and we've worked together ever since. So that then led to a Maxis Championship round on the Isle of Wight following year at Ariton, Gore Basin, the first big meeting they had there. So we went across on a ferry, um, did that race, which then led to the GP, the following year on the Isle of Wight, which has led to every GP since. So I've done every British GP since 2004. Um, That, in turn, then led me to meet some of the uh, Ustream people. And uh, they got very interested. Mm -hmm. And they then invited me to come and do uh, a Nations. So uh, I did the first Nations I did. uh, Let's think that was 06, of course, Matt Lee So, uh, and I've done every nation since then, apart from one in America, um, which was uh, Glen Helen. I've done everyone, including Redford and Every Nation since then. I am the English speaker. I, I love it. Abroad, they don't call you a commentator. They call you a speaker, which oh, right, makes perfect sense. <laughs> so well, yeah. I, it's what I you're am, paid to do. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm, I'm no, I am the English speaker, and luckily, I'll get invited to go to Every Nations, and including the uh, if it happens this year, which is unbelievable. Um so that happened. Uh, meanwhile, did a meeting uh down in the West Country of Maxis where Jack Burnicle was on the microphone and I was his sidekick. Um Jack sat in the Commentary Tower and um averse himself to a regular supply of uh, hot food and drinks during the day and dispensed me <laughs> right at our end of the circuit in uh, basically stood in some bushes. Um, with a microphone next to the marshal, all on her own for the whole day, um, commentating. So that's how I got to know Jack. Then Jack couldn't do a Eurosport gig, so uh, he suggested me. So Eurosport came on the phone and said, uh, can you come up and do one? They said it's the Japanese GP, 2004, uh, live. So it went out at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And they said, uh, here's the address, mm-hmm. the studio, Drury Lane in London. And that was it um never done it never had a clue what i was doing i rang jack up and said what do i do and he said well basically you go in the door here's the door code key uh the light switch is on the left hand side and that's it um so, yeah that was it <laughs> i'm in this whole building on my own in darkness walked in there's the um studio and all the equipment and a set of headphones um sat there two o'clock in the morning all on my own, put the headphones on, hoping someone would talk to me. Um, and about five minutes before the race was due, some little French voice came through and said, hello, yes, are you ready, motocross commentator? Um, that was it. Um, so, Oh, my did, God. And Yeah, so that was it. I was, there was no one to ask anything, no one in the building, no one anywhere near, just this voice in Paris. Um, so I did the uh, Japanese GP live, and that's how I got into Eurosport. Wow. <laughs> the thing is, mate, well, I, I mean, obviously,
1: crazy. I've, I've been in exactly that situation. I've done Hawks and International and had to go over to the little, you know, the, the, the hotel over in the middle that we call it and whatever else, been in exactly that position. But what I just wanted to say, it's such a steep learning curve. Everything that you've gone through there, if you can cope with that, surely you can cope with anything that, that happens with regards to your speaking commentary, whatever you do.
2: Uh, it, it's, it teaches you fast. Yeah. You have to, you have to wing it. And then, you know, obviously you have to learn the skills, um, which everybody who first time sits in has to learn, which in, uh, in other ways means you have to commentate while listening to somebody in Paris talking to you and, um, setting you up and counting you down for breaks and tell and that sort of stuff. So you have to talk and listen at the same time. So that's, you learn stuff like that. Um, That then led me to, uh, I did a year of World Superbike for Eurosport alongside Neil Hodgson, who is a mad, mad motocross fan. Hodgson loves it. Um, Neil Hodgson, for those (laughs) who don't know, Superbike champion, current commentator on um, BC Sport for MotoGP. So BSB, World Superbike champ, MotoGP rider. But his first love is motocross. He actually told me once um, in confidence, he said, given the choice of being world champ world motocross champion and world superbike champion i'd take motocross all day long love wow it. absolutely yeah loves it same as johnny ray i mean everyone knows johnny ray oh
1: johnny ray yeah that's
2: he's his, uh... that's his first love motocross everyone yep. knows that um and they're all the same so did a year on world superbikes with uh, with them um next stage uh MotoG- uh, mxgp Um, MX1 as it was at the time Um, Ustream said we've got a race coming up in Qatar Uh, would you be interested in doing that which uh, you know was the first round so I contacted them and they said yeah come out and I'm thinking you know this this is weird went to Qatar um, and did the commentary circuit commentary there uh, did that again the following year, which then they said, can you come back? Uh, it's weird. Went to the GP um, first week in March, um, the motocross GP, did the commentary, and on the way out, they said, uh, oh, by the way, are you interested in doing MotoGP for us? So uh, I was back there two weeks later um, doing MotoGP, which actually Gosh. was on the date of my 25th wedding anniversary, so uh, that didn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> what what an what an opportunity though,
1: mate. Because you are like us, you know anything two wheels you you're well into, um, yeah. and it kind of yeah. leads us to one of the questions. Obviously, there's so much going on there, and you've had to learn very very fast. The same as what I had to as well, by the sounds of it. Um, but how you you found the difference between MXGP and MotoGP, and how was the change, and is there a preference? What how? <sighs> Oh, man. oh i know sorry we do that to you we put you right on the spot by the way
2: well the problem is um i, I love everything motorbikes so i love motor gp love superbikes. motocross is always my first love but i, I love all of that uh, the difference is night and day has to be said has to be said motor gp is massive massive each team i mean ducati probably they go there and they will have a hundred people in their hospitality unit. So it's huge, huge. Everything is huge. Um, the bikes are unbelievable, unbelievable. The technology, the sound, because there's no silencing, they're straight through exhaust. So the sound blows you away. Um, and when those, those bikes come down there at, uh, 218 miles an hour past you. um, you know, and they're they're just black past. It's MotoGP. is unbelievable. That's the good bit. The bad bit is it's very, very, very clicky and in close, and it's not accessible like motocross. Motocross, you can go and talk to your heroes. You can stand and see people. You can get a selfie. You can chat. You can stand right up next to the track. Mm-hmm. Everything that goes with it. MotoGP. You unless you've got the right path, you ain't going anywhere. Um, and you you don't get near the riders, you know. Rossi, um, it's fantastic at one time I I looked down from the uh from the media centre, and you can depend on the pit garages, and there's all the team garages, and there's one garage with hundreds of people stood at the back of it. And that's Rossi's. Um, and they're all waiting to get an autograph. Well, he comes out and he literally walks ten ten meters from his pit garage to the team office, um, and security guards fend him off right the way through there. So you never get near anybody you don't see anybody um so it's very click mm. very exclusive whereas motocross is still fan friendly you know i know sometimes you have to pay for a pick pass or whatever but you can still see the guys you can still talk to them um you know and and it's, that's the difference but professionalism money setup is, is just incredible in MotoGP gp and MXGP is getting there. It is night and day different to what it was 10, 15 years ago. So whatever people say about Ustream or Infront, as they're called now, they have made a difference. They have brought it forward and it is night and day better, 100%. But it is still a world away from, from that level. But um, I don't prefer either. Motocross is my first love, always will be, no doubt about that. But I love... The the, everything that goes with the MotoGP. Um, There's some good people there. Trust me. There's some really nice people. Neil Hodgson, people like that. You know, who are the media people are brilliant. But it's very, very, very clicky. If you're not in that group, then uh, you know, forget it.
1: Well, just to give some feedback off that, I've been—I haven't missed one MotoGP, uh, British Grand Prix for for years on end. Being the family, we always go, and because that's my absolute another passion of mine. And again, very much like you, motocross is my first. But we have been camped out on day of champions, waiting for Rossi to come out for six hours or more before you even see him come out. And I had a little balance bike that I had for my son Jack um, that all painted up in Rossi colours with the number forty six on the front. And he came down the steps and I kind of just flung this bike at him over the top of the other people. And he saw the 46 and he says, oh, this is cool. And he actually signed the front of the bike for me. Um, but in 10 years of going there, that's the very closest I've ever got to him. Um, and then I won a, a Facebook competition with Yamaha for a meet and greet with Lorenzo and Rossi on the same day. And unless you get that experience or pay ridiculous money to get them, you will not get anywhere near them. As And as like you say, when you go into the MXGP um, paddock, yes, you might have a small charge to get in there, but you can get to speak to the guys. You know, they'll come over, they sign, they'll have photos. It's it's so much more friendly and a bit more open, whereas MotoGP, unfortunately, like you say, is is a different world altogether.
2: Well, I'm I'm sat in my office now looking at a selfie that I got on the podium in Qatar with Rossi, Dovi and Marquez. So uh, Valentino Rossi actually shook my hand and said, "Good job." Which, so you know that that blew. See, at the end of the day, something like that because I'm a fan. That's that's I'm the same as everybody else. I'm a fan, and if someone like Valentino Rossi talks to me, I'm thinking, "Oh my god!" You you just you put them on a pedestal, don't you? You
1: put them Ah, up there (laughs) as as this god and. It's really weird to explain, and I get it whenever I meet any person from the biking fraternity, especially when they're high up there like that, there is an aura about the guy um and until you're within five feet of him, you won't get it. There is a definite aura about the the guy, and you just put your hand you know your, your your arms start tingling, your hairs go up on the on your forearms. It's really weird to explain. Do
2: you know the funny thing though there's uh, in qatar there's there's a lad who uh, goes every single year who was a Rossi-looking-likey, and he dresses in all the kit, he puts the sunglasses on the lot, and he's, he looks pretty much like him. And he spends his whole time walking around Pit Lane, uh, all around the, the back, the paddock area, and people are taken in. They're swamping, they're getting autographs, they're getting selfies, and he's, he's loving it. He's more famous than the real thing. He's, because you never seen the real Valentino Rossi, this <laughs> and, uh, whole weekend mobbed. He's having a whale of a time.
1: Can you imagine that? Oh my god, you you you, you know, as a double for him, you 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 you'd be absolutely amazing day, wouldn't it? You you'd get in everywhere, wouldn't you, to be fair?
2: Yeah, well he's he's famous now, you know, because everybody mm-hmm. saw him. Um and, and not a fair play to you, Mike. Fair play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say um your sort of favourite part of your job altogether is, Roger?
2: A favourite part is uh, I go back to the fact that I've said I'm a fan. It's it's meeting my heroes. Um, you know I I sometimes mm-hmm. have to pinch myself because you know I get all access passes and so I can just walk in anywhere and go anywhere. Um, and and I go mm-hmm. and meet my heroes. Um, Farley Castle, the Vets to Nations. What a weekend that is! Don't don't tell Dave King, um, but I work there for nothing. Because I love that whole weekend and i me. I mean, I went to Rick Johnson. I met Rick Johnson, the Ricky Johnson, the man. Mm-hmm. I met him. And uh, two weeks later, um, I did Red Bud, the uh, motorcross of Nations, um, a couple of years ago. Pulled into the car park, this big pickup pulls mm-hmm. in there, gets out of the door, it's RJ. And he comes across and says, hey, Roger, how are you doing? I'm thinking, oh, my God, Rick Johnson knows No me. way. He knows my name. and yeah, Stuff like that. That's, what
1: <laughs> that's when you know you've made it, surely, mate, and ah, <laughs> moments like that.
2: This year, at Assen, I'm queuing up for a pass at the Nations. Roger da Costa comes wandering across and just starts talking. I'm thinking, who the hell does he think I am? He's confused with somebody. <laughs> yeah, and no. Jeffrey Hurlings. Hurlings will come over and start talking, just have a chat, you know, I'm a fan. I mean, if you're not a fan, you don't get it. Um, but no. for me, that, that I love that. I, I come home because my wife is not into it at all. You know, she's and I come home and say, guess who I met this weekend? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, oh, yeah, that's nice. What do you want for your dinner? Um, <laughs> Completely unfazed. brings me straight back down to earth. But, I mean, <laughs> my, my office is surrounded by pictures I've got with people, you know, Jeff Emig, people like that. They're heroes of mine who I watched and, you know, uh, you know, and you saw during the time. Um, and I, I now know them. I've got them on speed dial and talked to them. And sometimes I think, oh, my God, what's happening? Do
1: you know what? That is my next question. Here we go. mate. I'm really going to put you on the spot now. This is my very first question that I, that I wrote down a couple of days ago when I was thinking about this. Who is the most famous person you've got in your contact list on your phone? And that can be generally, it could be for the motocross fraternity.
0: Oh, this is a good one.
1: Now,
2: oh, 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 uh, who would you, well, it depends what you class as is, is famous, really. Um, Neil famous, yeah. you know, we're, we're good buddies, um, chat all the time, you know, world superbike champion, he's he's on my list. Uh, Several, several riders are on on my list there. Um, Dave Thorpe, you know people like that. Thorpe, for God's sake! I used to go to Farley and watch the British GP and peer through a little tiny crack in the awning, hoping to get a glimpse of Thorpey. Now, chats away as though we've known each other, you know, years. And I, you think, what's what's happening? What is going on? And, yeah,
1: it's it's really like surreal, that. mate, isn't
2: it? Yeah, you know. Um, uh, people like that, Jack Bernicke and I talk all the time. And, you know, Jack is, I, I know some people, you know, knock him, but Jack is a legend. He is an absolute legend and he loves motocross, absolutely loves it. You cannot fault the guy's enthusiasm. And I've grown up listening to Jack for years and years and years. Um, you know, and now him and I are good buddies and it's, it's things like that. You know, it's, uh, and as I say, riders, you know, I, who... I, I would be scared to go and talk to you now, um, chat, you know, chat to them and legends like that. It's, it's. I, I'm so lucky. I, I've been lucky all of my career by just being in the right place at right
1: the, place at the right time.
2: Yeah, and and yeah. to be honest, um, the, the, this will tell you the difference. Um, Paul Hardy, who I spoke to, spoke about earlier. If you said to Paul, given the choice, would you go and watch a British Grand Prix or would you go racing your bike? He'd take riding your bike every week. Me, even when I was racing, if there was a a British Championship round locally, I'd go and watch that rather than ride because I would love going to watch my heroes and watch these guys. So my job—if you wrote down what would be your dream job, this would be it for me. It's because it's everything I want, and and I get paid. Come on,
0: (laughs) it It doesn't get get better than that.
1: (laughs) So commentary. Or speaking, however you want to to, to properly miss. S- S- uh, are not. I like that.
2: I like we a yeah, yeah. speaker.
1: That's good. No, okay. called a lot of other things. Bit <laughs> bit... <laughs> and I have, mate. To be fair, but um, the thing is, with commentary, it everybody thinks that it's easy. Uh, it's an easy thing to do. And don't get me wrong. I and Sophie's the same. We love speaking and talking about the the sport that we love. For me, talking about bikes is no issue whatsoever. But what I will say, and being on the other side of the fence, Roger, and I think you'll back me up with this one, it's not easy. You've got to remember that you probably can't say the same thing twice at any occasion in the whole, probably six or eight hour stint that you're doing. Um, So the thing is, you get the keyboard warriors and they're saying, oh, such and such is rubbish and and whatever else. But until you've been in that position, I don't think you can really comment. What, What were your thoughts on that?
2: Well, first of all, if, if if you're easily offended, then you shouldn't do it because uh, you know I, I try and avoid social media as much as possible because um, people say some nasty things, nasty things, um, and you know that. To, unfortunately, my character is ten people can say you're brilliant, and if one says you're an idiot, that's the one that sticks with me and upsets me. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'll completely try and get that. Avoid that. And you will get that. And, yeah, you know, I get that as well. Some people you get on their nerves and you they don't like you and you, you've got to live with that. Um it's hurtful, but you know, and as the live commentary, um, you will make mistakes, you will get stuff wrong. Um and unfortunately, because it's live, it's gone. You can't withdraw it. Unlike if you're you know, if you're writing a piece somewhere, you can reread it and correct stuff. Once you've said it, especially on TV, it's gone. And what <laughs> What happens is is the following week, you'll be somewhere and somebody will come up to you and say, oh, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I heard you on the Eurosport last week or something. Yeah, yeah, you did a great job. And you think, here it comes. And they say, <laughs> there's a bot. <laughs> you got this wrong. You know, he wasn't champion in 2016. It was 2015 or something like that. And someone will correct you and tell you stuff you got wrong. And they're, nine times out of 10, they're probably right. So you have to take it on the chin. Um, you know, but people as you say, it's not so much they think they can do it, but they do pick you up with, sometimes with the best of intentions, but they'll pick you up on mistakes. And um it happens. No one's going to, as you say, no one's going to talk for hours on end without getting something wrong or whatever. And, and unfortunately in the era of social media, that gives license for, to people to pick you up and uh have a go. Um But you know, you got, you got to live with that. But then that's why I spend especially over the winter, hours, days, weeks, doing preparation. Um, so that it gives me something to talk about and I can check my facts because on the heat of the moment, sometimes you think, hang on, was he a four-time champion or was he five? Or, and you need to be able to refer to something, or I do. Um, and that's that's how I work is I can then refer to my notes. And, I, I again, I always try and come at it from the point of view as a, of a fan. Um, is what would you, What makes it interesting. A- anyone can stand there and say, oh, yeah, Jeffrey Hearn is his first, Tony Caroli's second, um, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. You can see that. What you want is to try and pad that out a little bit by giving some, maybe some mm-hmm. little facts or a bit of information or something that you might not know about those riders. So you've got to say what's happening, but you can pad it out and make it a bit more interesting. And I know that when I'm at home, if I'm watching a race, and if someone can tell you stuff like that, that thing, oh, that's interesting. Um, and that, that's the way I try and come at it, um, which is why it's always good working with someone, um, you know, a, a, a rider or an expert, because when I was with Rob Andrews on Eurosport and I've worked with Paul Malian before, I mean, Mailer's brilliant because he's been there and done it. And they can see stuff that I, I don't see because I've never ridden at their level. So they can, I can say so-and-so's crashed. But they can then look at it and look at the replay and say, Oh, yeah, well, look, this is what happened. And da, 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 da. That's why. And you think, yeah, brilliant. Um, now I can't do that. Those those guys can because they've been there and done it at the top level. Um, and it's trying to make it interesting. But I, as I going back to my point, I I try and talk to the ordinary fan, um, whereas sometimes I think some of the um ex-rider commentators. That they don't get what it's like for us. They they see things and stuff that they sort of take for granted. We don't. So they, they come at it sometimes from a different angle and sort of assume that the rest of us know stuff and and we don't. So I I try and talk to the channel hoppers and people like that, you know, who perhaps haven't watched it before and explain. And you Eurosport are very hot on that. Um they say mm. don't Jeffrey Hurley is leading. You say Jeffrey Herlings on the Orange KTM from the Netherlands is leading. So if somebody's never watched motocross before, knows what's going on. It's um, almost like commentary
1: from a layman's perspective. You have to really go back to basics and like talk it
2: right the way through. Yeah, we, we assume everyone knows who Carole and Herlings are. Well, if you've never watched motocross before, you don't. You know, and then, So you, you've got to uh, sort of wind it back a little bit and try and talk to everybody.
1: So as you mentioned briefly there a little bit earlier, when we spoke about La Salle and MotoGP and travelling to Aston and all this kind of thing, how do you cope? I, I'm, you've spoken about yet yeah, the favourite part of your job, as it were, but how do you cope with the the travelling and does it get quite hard? Because I'd imagine a lot of the time you're on your own and how do you cope with that?
2: Uh, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I usually am on my own. Um, I sometimes hook up with some of the uh, FIM guys, because um, my elder brother is uh, on the uh, work is the uh, uh, chief marshal for the FIM at M- MXGP, so he goes to every race. So I sometimes hook up with him and Andy Summers and people like that, who are, and Ingo Parch, you know, the race director. I, so I will try and hook up with them, but inevitably I'm on my own most of the time. And the travelling's a pain in the ass. You know, it is sat in the airport on the plane get in the car, all that sort of stuff, it's uh, it, it's, it's not enjoyable. Um, how, how these guys do it for 20 races a year, I don't know, you know, especially when you're going to Argentina, which is sort of a 30-hour trip.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How are you doing that? Uh, that's not enjoyable. Um, but as soon as you get to the race, that all goes away, and it's you know it's fun then. But the, the travelling is all – I'm not a good traveller. You know, some people love it. Um, I, I don't particularly enjoy that side of it.
1: Uh, and I think me and Sofa are exactly the same because, obviously, don't get me wrong, we were UK-based and stuff yeah. this last year and whatever else, but we both get anxious over travelling and staying over and we've we've had several times. Everybody thinks, oh, he's got the dream job, you know, he's travelling here, there and everywhere, but it's not always the case, is it, like you say?
2: Oh, Qatar's a, an example, you know, for MotoGP. They think, oh, brilliant, um, when I did it um, last year, I actually got outside the hotel for uh, one hour on the third day. Um, the rest of the time, it was airport, hotel, hotel, track, track, hotel, track, hotel, and that was it, airport, back home. So, you know, you, you don't see anything. You literally... Yeah, literally,
0: people don't see that, do they?
2: No. Um, and you go to the circuit and, you know, you don't watch the race. I'm I'm sat in a little booth um, pretty much uh, commentating from like I would on TV. So... They say, you know, oh, you go to Qatar. Great, yeah. Well, I actually saw an hour of it. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining. I'm really not complaining. But it's not a holiday. That, that's the thing. People say to me, why don't you take your wife? Why don't you? I said, well, you know, I'd never see her because I'm working. I'm out the door 7 o'clock in the morning, back 10 o'clock at night, um, you know, and you're working. It's It's a job of work, a, an enjoyable one. Um, and one I love. And I'm certainly not complaining, but it's it's not a tourist holiday, you know, and uh, if you're doing a full series or something, then it really I know talking to the guys who do the MXGPs, um, they say that sort of by the time you get to about August, you've had enough, you know, because those those guys are doing 60, 70 flights a year. And um, they said you, you just had enough. And it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. It's 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 something you love, and it's a sport you love, but it's not all fun. So you know that no, I'm... to set the keyboard warriors off, there say, so, "Oh yeah, you're lucky." I don't know why you're moaning, and uh, they're quite right. They're quite right. Not, quite <laughs> in, but no. it's it's not
1: enjoyable. It's really not. I don't think you can comment until you've been in that position and know what it's like. I mean, you know, I've got a young family, and me and Soph have been, you know, in, in the caravan in the back there, and we got each other for company or whatever else. But like, there's certain oi, times oi. where. Oi, oi. No, no, no. I know. But...
0: Oh, steady on.
1: <laughs> no. oh, <you're> steady. <laughs> Having a cup of tea is what we normally do. We're terrible. But um, <laughs> what, what I was going to say is you spend a lot of time on your own and I've got a young family and I'd love to bring my kids with me because they, you know, they, they see the dad commentating and stuff like that. And they want to get involved. And, but like you say, it's graft. It's like from seven o'clock in the morning till, you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. That is your day. You, you, you hardly move. I mean, you feel guilty for going out and having a toilet break.
2: Yeah, that's, as I say, it's, it's I don't want it to come across as overcomplaining because I'm I'm so lucky, I'm so privileged. As I say, I I get all access passes, you know, at these races and can go anywhere and stuff like that. You're so privileged, um, but you know, sometimes it, it's not the it's not all fun. Let's put it that way. But uh, you just alluded to it. You you've got to have. Um, supportive family I mean my my wife's brilliant you know she never questions as I say I went away on our 25th wedding anniversary you know and she never never said a word um never complains never said in fact a lot of the time she doesn't even know where I am or which country I'm in but um she she never complains strangely (laughs) strangely, she always says uh, give me a ring when you're on your way home but I don't don't know why she says that but there you go
0: (laughs) Uh, so moving on to some more, uh, well, more of the legendary races over the years, um, we touched on the Nations a little bit. Um, now, is it difficult for you to not be biased with Team GB? Because obviously we want to get behind our lads that are racing, but do you find it a little bit difficult?
2: No, uh, to be honest, I, I, it's 100% the opposite. Um, when I do the Nations, I work alongside the local commentator so the, the national commentator so mm-hmm. um you know i'm working with them and it's their gig it's their race it's their local one so they're always going to be number one but i work alongside but I, what i try and get across to them um is they are talking to maybe 30 of the crowd at the nations because everyone else is from the rest of the world i'm talking to them so they like holland this year you know asin mm-hmm. maybe Center of that crowd were Dutch, the rest were from the rest of the world, and I'm talking to them. So I try and bring in the rest of the world because <laughs> I, I, I work with the, the guys, and there's some crazy, crazy guys. I, I've got I work with uh, Case in Holland, um, I work with Francis in France, um, I've got Giancarlo in Italy, who are legends in their own countries um, and great guys nutters they're all complete nutters they, just, <laughs> they just, just go at it 100 mile an hour and they they just go crazy they go completely mad and you know they focus purely on their their riders um so i i'm the opposite although obviously um i make sure that i pick out the british guys and make sure i'm up there with them but i also try and Talk to every other country because no one else is going to. They, they, these guys talk about their, their riders. I talk about everyone else. So I make a conscious effort to try and because, again, we're so lucky. The rest of the world speaks English. So you, you can guarantee everyone, mm-hmm. or pretty much everyone in those crowds will understand me. Whereas only twenty or thirty percent will understand yep. Ace, the Dutch guy. So you know, I'm talking to probably most mm-hmm. of them. So yeah, in answer to your question, um, no, I, I do the opposite. I actually try and talk about all the other countries and give them the same opportunity. So
0: saying that, what would be um, your sort of favourite race that you've ever, you've ever sort of had the privilege to commentate on? What sticks in what, your mind? Uh,
2: favourite race ever, or just uh, I mean the nations. The nations. There's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it. Anyone who's been will know that it's. Fantastic! Everybody who is anybody in motocross is there. That's the brilliance of it. Um, the best riders in the world, all the teams, all the personalities. You will just walk around spotting people for the whole weekend. So the nations is brilliant. Love it. Um, but actually, in my typical way, done some preparation for this, um, <laughs> and I, I guess you were probably going to. What my favourite race was? Um, am, am I allowed to have three?
1: We we'll let you off, seeing
2: you yes, are who you are. you are. So yes, by all means, Thank carry on. You. Right. Okay. Um, in order, um, two thousand six nations, Matley Basin. Um, that 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 took everybody by surprise. The crowd, the amount of people who turned up, just over just overtook everybody. And I know there were issues, but it just no one was expecting that crowd. It was unbelievable. Um, in fact, when it started on day one. Um, Paul and I started up and we were sort of racking people up. The promoter came rushing across to us um saying, ease up, lads, ease up. People have heard you talking and they think they're missing something and they're pushing the fences down, trying to get in. So, you know, that oh
0: my god. Yeah, that, oh
2: my god. that was unbelievable. Um we, you know, and, um you saw obviously Stefan Everts, uh, his last race ever. So he was up for it. He, and when he went around the outside of Stuart, you know, in Paul Hardy's words, that crowd went wild. Everybody, every. <laughs> and it, that something like that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. So it, that it, was just crazy, crazy. Um, that weekend, also, sorry, digressing, um, I had just one of the surreal experiences. Ricky Carmichael was there. Ricky was meant to be racing, but he got injured two weeks before. So he still turned up. Um, and he was mobbed everywhere he went, so he came up on the Coventry Tower um, for a chat um, and he went down, about 10 minutes later he came back and he said, hey guys, can I stay here with you because I can't get away from anybody and that was the only place he was safe from the paparazzi so he spent most of the day up there with us um, so chatting, to, and and I then said to him, hey Ricky, I said could you do me a little favour, I said could you just have a word with my son, who's a big fan, so he said, yeah, no problem. So I phoned my son, my eldest son, um, and I said to him, hey, I've got someone here who wants to work with you. So I gave him the phone. Carmichael said, hey, Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, are you coming to the race? tomorrow? Yeah, it's really good. We'll see you. Fantastic. Yeah, nice to meet you. Bye. Off he went. I said, thanks, Ricky. That was brilliant. And I said, two minutes later, the phone rings, and Tom says, who the hell was that? I said, Tom, that was Ricky Carmichael. Oh my <laughs> god! <He's laughs> didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue no. who, he, who he was talking to. Um so yeah, that was such such a big weekend. Um for lots of reasons. So brilliant.
1: Yeah, I mean the crowd was amazing, the racing was amazing, and and I don't think well, it's hard to come by. I mean, you'll probably say this because I know I think I know what's coming on your list, but for a British fan that day i've never been as excited in my entire life i don't think as a motocross fan that day oh
2: no i'll be honest our job was easy because the crowd didn't need a lot of winding up <laughs> Everybody <No>. was <laughs> well into it um you know we had mexican waves going we had all sorts of shit going on um, because everybody was so up for it it was just in, in fact the crowd was so big that I had to do the podium presentation, and at Matley, that is about two, 300 yards away from our commentary place. I suddenly thought, shit, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it because it, the crowd it did they start straight. I, I ran and I'm barging yeah. my way through, and I'm, I'm outside the compound, and there's about five rows of people, and I'm to, I, I couldn't get there. So literally, some of the Ustream guys picked me up and threw me over the fence, over the top of the crowd, so that I could get to the podium presentation. <laughs> um you know it was it was that crazy that crazy um that's that's one second one um probably the best out and out race i've ever seen was 2006 desert Martin gp um stefan everts josh coppins um everts was on a perfect season Coppins was pushing him. He rode for the Cass Honda team at the time. Everts was on the Yamaha. Those two went out and Coppins was... Josh Coppins was the first to admit he's not a natural rider, but that guy has got so much determination. He would just win races by grit and determination. They went out and they raced for both races flat out, head-to-head, overtaking. Everts won the first one. Coppins won the second and won the GP. And as he frequently reminds Everts, he spoiled Everts' perfect season. But why it was such a good race is the second race, they lapped up to fourth place. They were lapping, Ken Diker, Steve Ramon, Clement de Salle, people like that. They lapped up to fourth. Those two, and Everts at the end of it, were wow. hanging. They were both, they'd given everything because they raced 100% for that whole race. And they want. Everts wanted the perfect season. Coppins was determined not to give it to him. And they, it was just unbelievable that race. They, a lot of people who were there remember that because that was a, just a proper race. And it was those two making everyone else look silly. I think it's easy to remember as well when you
1: see racing like that. Gone are the the thoughts of oh, the perfect season. It's just down to you, the track and I can remember was it James Noble and Brad Anderson going at it in Pontralis for the for a British championship now and they were knocking lumps out of each other every single corner it could have been Marsh. Oh,
2: either way Brad I, I love Brad I, I who, yeah. who, who can't love Brad but be honest if you're racing and Brad comes up behind you move out of the way because he's
1: Yeah, it's a a scary thing, isn't it? uh... He's going to get you,
2: one way or another. I mean, you talk to the guy, and he's the nicest bloke in the world, but he gets on a bike, and he's just an animal. That red mist comes down, doesn't it? He's a different beast
1: altogether once he swings his leg over his bike.
2: And and if he doesn't get you, then his missus will. Um... Haley, Haley. Oh, you're, you're very brave mate uh, You're brave for the night has got a temper <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen her at races having to be separated because she was ready to smack someone else's mechanic because they were sort of dising Brad so I've seen her I've seen her being pulled off yeah she's like pulled off of mechanics like that She's Hayley's got a temper lovely girl but yeah the pair of them What it, you know if Brad ever retires that's going to be a sad day sad yeah
1: But it just goes to show you, we remember races like that because the intensity, the heat of the battle, you know, don't get me wrong, it was getting a bit borderline at one point or another, but the crowd were going mental. And um, I'll never forget that race at Pontralis as long as I live, just because.
2: Yeah, that's what you got to see, is racing. Um, The third one, the third one, which has also got to be up there, um, is Nations again, 2016 at Matley. Um, Max Anstey getting the whole shot and winning, winning the club, winning the races. I mean, that was just tense. That was so tense because everybody is willing Max to win. And, you know, there was times, I mean, he slipped off one time and he had to get back and you're just counting the time down, willing that race to go through. But, you know, Anstey getting the whole shot when he went into the Valley because now, now, there again, if you were there, you may remember this. Um, and I'm, I know it's never been done before, but Paul and I did this. And it was one of our proudest moments. Every commentator at a big race meeting will wind the crowd up at the start of the race. Before the race, you wind them up. We did the opposite. Paul Hardy said to me before race run, he said, how about if we try and get everyone to go quiet? And I'm thinking, no, nah, that, that's not going to happen you got 40,000 people here. That's not bear horns, all sorts of shit. That's not going to happen. But we tried it. And we, we before that first race, we said, right, everybody, we quiet and silent. And then we want you to explode when the race starts. And they did. It, it came <laughs> back to me and said, it was unbelievable. Everybody went silent. And we counted down and we said five seconds. And everyone was silent. And when the gate dropped bang, we're away, and everybody screamed and was noise, and then we said, Anstey's leading, so they just, the noise was unbelievable, and when they went in the valley first time with Anstey leading, just crazy, crazy, but we did that, and it's never been done since to my knowledge, and not before, is actually we got the crowd, and it worked for all three races, is it was silence while the riders were on the line and ready to go, and That was a gamble because that could have gone horribly wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it could have looked very foolish very quickly. I imagine it it worked, (laughs) but you pulled it off. Built the excitement to another level because when that gate dropped and when Anthony led on the first turn, everybody just exploded because they'd been building up and building up and building up, and then they just exploded. And that was that was brilliant. So that was another good day. Going on? What's
0: happening here? I don't know. Everyone's don't... Wi-Fi it's bloody cutting out, and then yeah. I keep losing one a year But hopefully, we should be
1: all right now. It, it, well, he's just told me how much he wants for this, and it's every hour it's costing us. It's scary. Uh, you, you've
0: got to realise. <laughs> right, we better get a move on then. Yeah,
2: this is you know it's mounting up now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't by the way.
1: Not me, mate. Let's get that straight straight away.
0: Uh, So, Roger, I know, obviously, we're in a bit of a predicament at the moment where we're all stuck at home, being bored. Um, But what have you been up to? What have you been doing to keep yourself busy and positive?
2: Um, I'm trying to get as well prepared as possible for when things kick in. Um, I'm meant to be going to Majora for the um, MXGP, um, which I'm looking forward to. One of my favourite races of the year. Uh, Nations, I'm signed up for Erne. Um, obviously Eurosport will be kicking in at some stage. So I'm using the time really to just sort of ultra, ultra prepare. So just do a bit more homework, get everything up together, ready for when it does eventually kick in, um, you know, whenever that's going to be.
1: Your preparation there, Rog. Um, obviously we both worked with Sir Jack at the moment and he's got a couple of Bibles he takes around with him. What uh, What kind of stuff do you take to the race meetings just out of interest?
2: Uh, no, I, see, I, I did that. I used to have, to be honest, I've got two. When I go to a live race, I try and tend to keep it minimal because, you know, you usually stood out in the open air and it's probably pouring with rain. So you can't go flicking through notes a great deal. So i try and keep it to sort of a couple of two or three salient points. When I'm doing the TV stuff, then you can spread, spread out a bit more and have loads of notes. So, you know, then you, you sort of try and get statistics up together on some of the riders um, so, to be honest, I, I read everything I can, so I read all the forums and read everything I possibly can, um, and that's the only reason I'm on social media It's because the riders say stuff on social media that they wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. say at other times. So you can pick stuff up from uh, from that. I mean, you you know that better than I do. Cause... Yeah, they're
1: more forthcoming, aren't they, on social
2: media? They yeah, seem exactly. to be a little more yeah so you can find out what they've been up to sort of things they've been doing and you know that sort of stuff so uh, my 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 um, ethos is always read everything and believe nothing <laughs> um, because you you same as me me, you you're around the races and you get told all, all sorts of stuff and if you repeated it you get yourself in a lot of trouble so you you tend to get to know who you can believe mm-hmm. and who you can't um so it's a bit of an act is trying to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening um without uh misleading but uh that's it basically cycling and uh, thank god for cycling um i'm quite heavily into that so i get out cycling as much as i can um and uh, just sort of chilling out really um enjoying the sunshine at the moment and mm-hmm. chilling out yes. and doing stuff like this uh, I'm, I'm currently doing voiceovers as well that's, i was just about so.
1: to say my next question is you've i've heard you on quite a lot of voiceovers um you know w- w- what have you been doing there as well
2: yeah, it's the, it's the future. That's the way things are now. It's modern technology. Um, I did uh, recently. I did one for Nitro Circus. Um, I a couple of weeks just before the lockdown. I did the first of four for Rockstar Husqvarna. They're going to do um, various updates during the season where they do videos, and we did the first one um, just before Matley Basin. So I do that. I do quite a bit for um, the Dutch guys. I do. I've done some for Jeffrey Hurlins. I do living for mm-hmm. the Weekend it's it's technology you know um scripts come through uh, i've got a local recording studio down the road from me uh, we go in there i i do the script they mix it do their stuff press a button off it goes um that's it it's you know you don't actually meet the people you're working for but that's the modern world now so i'm doing more and more voiceover stuff as that's
0: well that's
2: it that- because that's you know we, luckily. Um, my voice is getting better with age because that's something that happens is your voice does improve as you get older. Everything else is going completely <laughs> different. Um, that, that's why I'm better sort of on things like this when no one sees you.
0: Going off the back of that then, what sort of um, tips would you give to someone that wants to get into commentating on races? Do you know? Do you, do you need to practice at home? What do you need to do?
2: Uh, to be honest, there's, there's two ways. If you want to do live stuff, then go to your local track, go to your local race, um, you know, and just go and volunteer yourself. And I'm sure, you know, if they've got a PA system of any any degree there, they'll let you have a go. Um, and just do that and, and work your way up mm-hmm. there. And you start doing races and, you know, then, then you end up doing uh, some of the series and working your way through. Um, you know, you've got people like Chris Cazora have done that. Chris is doing a great job at the british championship rounds he's worked his way up from some of the amca meetings until he's and so he's now the national commentator um other than that it's online stuff really um you know Mm -hmm. you you go on and uh you can go do podcasts stuff like anything at all like that where you can get to learn learn the stuff and learn the way technology works and uh it's it's contacts it's i can't say Enough that it's being in the right place at the right time. It really is. you Yeah, you, I agree. The more you put yourself about, the more you're going to meet the right people and get lucky and be um, in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly what's happened to me. My mm-hmm. career has been purely that is just you know, by being somewhere. That's why I love the nations. I, I get more work out of being at the nations um, than I do the rest of the year because everyone's there and people come up all weekend and say, can you work this? Can you do that? We want you to work here, um, and that's the way it works. So, really, just you know, with the, with modern technology and social media, the opportunities are endless now. So you can do your own thing with podcasts, or you can, you know, work with people like yourselves, um, and and that's that's really the way. And, and people hear you, get to know you, and, and that's the way it happens. And you know, just, mm-hmm. um, take you sometimes you have to take the rough with the smooth, and you have to do some races that you probably don't want to and you know are, are quite hard work but that's what you've got to do to build up um and because yeah. there's always, well, the problem that we have now is i'm at the stage now where there's you know people like darren coming through um mm-hmm. you, you're future you're the next level and you're, you're knocking on the door and taking jobs you know um away now and that's the way it is <laughs> and there's always someone mm-hmm. who is going to work uh, It'll do the job and maybe do it a bit cheaper or whatever, and come through, so you know that that's the future, so you've got to, I've gotta stay on top of my game because there's a lot of good people coming through like yourself Darren. so I've gotta turn the top of my game so that uh keep you down in your place <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well, I'm a different mindset to you though mate I think I'm you know I'm kind of more and so forget this from me as well that like i I enjoy working with people so uh, Don't get me wrong, yes, I commentate on my own and and do the meetings there and whatever else, but I'm very much, I think to have somebody, especially somebody like yourself or somebody like that to work with and work as a double act and a duo, I think is far better. There's more of a rapport, I think, goes on as well, especially come race day. Um, and you know, sometimes you miss things and the other people, the other person. Knows more about it, a particular situation. So I, I'm never kind of thinking of that. I'm always happy listening to you. You do a fantastic job, and um, I I just kind of don't see it that way, mate. To be fair, I'd rather work with somebody than than against them. That's how I my mindset oh, is. Anyway, listen, I'll, sure.
2: I'll, I can't go on forever. Um, you know, I've got no plans on stopping at the moment. But uh, you know, you, you're coming through. And as I say, with with the way social media and, and online stuff is now, there's so many opportunities because as you know, um, there are so, so many channels and so many things going on there now that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a lot more opportunity um, than there was before where you just had a couple of TV channels now. You know, TV is almost, if you want to watch motocross now, do you watch it on TV or do you watch it online? Probably online. That's the way it is now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's different, um, you know, it, but it keeps me on my toes. So that's good. You know, it stops me being complacent because I know how lucky I am to be doing this. Um, so I know that I've got to keep putting the work in and doing the job so that I, um, people keep all the time people keep asking me to do work. Then I know that mm-hmm. I hope I'm doing a reasonable job. Um, you know, when they stop asking you, then that, that's when you're in trouble.
0: <laughs> that's it. I'm I just
2: going to I'm just going to throw in a question there just because you've
1: touched upon it ever so slightly. and we've spoken about it in a couple of podcasts already um British motocross your idea I know we've kind of got to sit on the fence a little bit as professional commentators but how how what do you think the solution is from your perspective then with regards to British motocross well I've I've got to
2: declare an interest here because my elder brother Chris is on the uh ACU motocross committee so he is obviously actively Mm -hmm. involved in promoting the British championships and deciding what goes forward um he and I get on brilliantly always have done but we have a pact um he doesn't tell me stuff um because you know if someone then asks me something I can quite legitimately say I don't know um and I Mm -hmm. can't because some you know I don't agree with everything they do and I don't agree with some of the decisions they make But uh, so it's best we we don't talk about it. You know, he's also, (laughs) he's he's, uh, chief marshal for the FIM at the GP. So that's a different kettle of fish. I can, you know, we chat about GPs and, you know, he tells me all sorts of stuff there that goes on. But the British side of it, because he's involved in the organisation, we try not to talk about it because, you know, we don't agree on everything. I've got my own views. Um, I have to say I went, I, I try and get to one or two, British championship races during the course of the year, if I can. Mm-hmm.
0: Um
2: it could be better. Let's put it that way. Um, it could be better. The riders are out there doing their stuff, but um and, and it's not a criticism, but something is wrong because there's not many people there, there's no excitement, um, you know, it's it's and there's there's a lot of uh I'm trying to diplomatically say this.
1: I was going to say, that's a very yeah. diplomatic answer
2: to come in here, there's I can a, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of rock stars out there who strut about, you know, with the sunglasses on and uh, all the kit on and the big motorhomes. Um, but, you know, some of them need to sort of get their act together and think, hang on, I need to be doing this. is actually a bit more artwork. It's not, not glamour. Um, so there's a lot of people who think they're something special who aren't. Um, but you can't fall at the end of the day you can't blame anyone because most of the organizers are volunteers so they're doing it at their own expense mm-hmm. their own time so you can't you can't go criticizing these people because they're volunteers I wouldn't want to do it hell I wouldn't want to do it um, because there's always someone going to complain and moan and can say you're doing it wrong um, so why would you do it thank God they do so you cannot criticize people um, the riders are out there trying to own a crust and do their best the teams the the, the Guys who own these teams, they're successful businessmen who have worked hard to earn their money, and they give most of it away um, to motocross, um, you know, and get nothing back for it. So
0: yeah,
2: you got, got to commend these guys. They're these private blokes. No one gives them their money. You know, I mean, my local team, CAG screens here, Lee Weber. No one gives says, here, Lee, have a chunk of money. He has to earn that, and then he goes and spends it on a motocross team. You know, and what thanks does he get back for it? Probably not a lot. Um, you know you've got to remember that that's it's It's not these people are doing it for the love of the sport so we can criticize and say things have got to change but um, you've got to do it you criticize in a constructive way not negative because if these people walk away you know if the organizers the clubs the sponsors um the team owners walk away we're in deep trouble then
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah we're really on the back foot then as well, and uh, you know, as I say, these people are devout, aren't they? they're fans as well from the very beginning they don't want to see british motocross you know um fail potentially like it is going you could you i think we're just going down a route that unfortunately it's snowballing at the moment, and something's got to stop otherwise potentially we might we we might love uh, miss the thing that we you know we love doing altogether um, yeah that's I would the worrying thing
2: is is we're we're missing. We're targeting the wrong people. When when there's a race coming up, there's big pieces in dirt bike rider, trials and motocross online, all that sort of stuff. But you're talking to the converted fan who's probably going to go anyway. Um, Club Mm -hmm. Canada Heights have got it right. They will have a stand in the local shopping centre for a couple of weeks beforehand promoting that race because it's, it's the families and everybody else who you want to get to the race, not the motocross fans. They're going to come. It's everyone else. You want to get new people in there and, you know, you've got to promote the sport to a wider audience. Um, again, easily said, but you know that's what we need to be doing. Is you need to promote it to a wider audience. Um, you know, it's it's no good just sticking an ad in TMX or DBR or something like that because you, we're going to go anyway. Yeah. Well,
1: it's so easy to, to say, but very, very difficult to do, isn't it? That's the thing. And, and, you know, I mean, the promoters, I mean, they work hard, getting bums on seats and whatever else, no matter what guys they're under. But that's a big, big job that is. And like you say, I, I wouldn't want to be doing it. I wouldn't want the risk. Um, you know, they're putting their life on the line the majority of the time. So, um, yeah, yeah, so something's got to happen. Some We've got to migrate somehow and everybody kind of condensed together for the right. good of the sport, I think. Is yeah. The thing, think story. about it.
2: You get 1500 people at a max this round, British championship round. Um, and yet you get 10,000 at arena cross and Gareth gets, God knows how many at Western, you know, so the people. are there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, just jumping on to a quick question that we've had for you, Roger uh, from Pat Stutt on Instagram as well. Now this is going to be a good one. Um, what is your best or favorite race that you wish you could have commentated on?
2: Oh, Lami. Oh, there's one. There's one. Um pro- there was one. Uh let's let's have a think. Uh Stefan Everts and Sebastian Tortelli. That would have been a good one. Um, where they mm-hmm. were the champion. I think it was in Greece. And Everts folded completely until Telly won the championship. That would probably have been an exciting one to see. Um, one that I watched, which I would love to have commentated on, and that was at Lommel. And that was fantastic for one reason and one reason only. Um, I think it was about 2008, 2009. Josh Coppins was on an Aprilia, which was a heap of shit. That was a dog of a bike. And yeah. Josh was on the
0: aprilia.
2: He <laughs> um, was at Lommel, which is a hard track anyway. He went down on the first turn and got run over by pretty much the whole field. So the subframe is sticking up in the end, The mudguard pointing upwards. The handlebars are twisted. Everything is just hanging all over the place. And he got on that bike in race two and he got got up to fifth. And he, he was going past people, again, like DeSalle, did people like that and he got right way back up to fifth on a dog bike that was falling apart around one of the toughest circuits in the world and I watched that from the side
1: and Mm -hmm.
2: I would love to have commentated on that because you could have sort of tracked him through and that's something like that was that was very special that was good
1: I think the other good thing as well has come out of this horrible downtime that we're seeing at the moment as well. It gives us a chance to just reflect and and I think Motorvision have been putting some of the uh, oh, the older races onto youtube yeah. which just, for me has been a yeah. yeah, just a godsend. Of another one, yeah.
2: which is one of the motorvision ones, and again, one that I was actually in the crowd um, was I can't remember the year, but it was at Fox Hills, and it was the year that uh, Paul Malin and Tortelli were racing the 125 gP and uh one year Tortelli won, the second year Mailin won. And that was just those two were going at it for the whole race. Mailing was on fire. Um, so that that would that was a hell of a race to watch. So to commentate that would have been a good one as well.
1: I've just got one as well that we asked Dave Thorpe this question. Sorry, so I'm just gonna jump in with this one because I, I'm intrigued to see what rog is gonna do with this one. And we and we we asked Thorpe last week and I put it to him. What is your most favorite rider and why now we can open this right. up this is any era any continent yep. who is your favorite raider and why
2: see I've, well, i'm ahead of the game here i've done my homework on this one again <laughs> i knew you would <laughs> right so I've, I've broken it down by decades basically on this one.
1: Oh god um, he has gone diva on us again and he? He, he there's no straight yeah. answer from
2: you is there yeah, when I was a very small kid and my brother was taking me to races, um, my hero then was Jeff Smith. Um, and, in fact, I've got a crash helmet that my brother got painted for me as a six-year-old kid in Jeff Smith's colours. So wow. that was in the 70s. 70s. uh Noisy, because he was local to me in Hampshire. So Noisy was a mm-hmm. legend. And, and De Costa obviously, because he was just the best. But Noisy was just a legend. 80s, Thorpey. Uh, Rick Johnson and and because he was just like it said on his butt patch on his leather he was Hollywood and that was Andre Mallow Mallow just looked cool the whole time he wore that uh, baby blue O'Neill race kit and he was so aloof and cool you never saw him He'd, he'd finish the race and go straight back in the HRC and they'd zip it up so you wouldn't see him and the next time he'd come out on his bike do the race and go away so he was godlike, and he wore this ultra... He just looked cool all the time. Um, Johnson Johnson was the man, Then two-hit Rick Johnson, you know, he was just everything. Um, and Thorpe because, you know, he was British and he gave us something to cheer about. 90s, um, Jean-Michel Bale. Unbelick. Um, Bale just did everything. Um, he could do anything. He won 125, 250 World Championships back-to-back, went to America got ridiculed and hated the whole time he was there, but ended up winning all three classes, 250, 500, and Supercross, and then just got fed up with it and went MotoGP racing. Um, same thing, went there, finished last in his very first MotoGP race, ended up being a factory Yamaha rider and pole position and riding a MotoGP bike. So, but, um, it, you know, he, he just did everything. And then once he'd done that, he'd oh, fed up with that, can't do something else now. Yeah. Um, and fanta- And I had the privilege of meeting him at Farley Castle a couple of years ago. Um, typical French, a bit aloof, didn't want to speak, but you know, still there.
1: <laughs> was, that, yeah. was that just to you though, mate, or was it? <laughs>
2: probably, probably, yeah, probably. No, yeah, no. Sometimes they say, don't meet your heroes, no, don't you here. Well,
1: no, they do, but naturally, very, very gifted, talented rider as well. And has been pretty poorly as well with this COVID 19
2: as well, COVID 19 as yeah. well. So uh, wishing him the best. Right. But- into the noughties, Josh Coppins. I got to know Josh well and I'm still I'm still in touch with him. Um he, he was just such a hard-working bloke um and a down-to-earth guy. You know, you could just go up and chat to Josh and I, I got to know him really well, so we became good friends. And uh, Carmichael, you know, yep. Carmichael was just again not the most naturally talented, but he just ground it out. He just worked harder than anybody and just road rings around everybody um so he was the best uh current era um there's there's lots of riders but i have to say i i always like jeffy hurlins um and again um Hurlins and i get on really well he uh, actually um digressing a little bit he said to me on a number of occasions that he listens to me commentating when he's riding oh. um and i know that's true because he actually comes back and picks me up on stuff he'll come back after the race and he say, you said no this. Way. No you way. No way. You said that. Ah, yeah. And Ken De Deike did that. Um, 2014 at the Nations at Teuschenthal, um, when he was riding for Belgium. Um, in the third race, De Deike said, I was listening to you to find out what had happened to De his <laughs> teammate, that last race. And no he, way. And Yeah. Um, I, I'm the same as you. I'm thinking, nah, you're having a laugh. But it's true. They actually, they told me, that they listen for my voice and listen to me when they're going around to find out what's happening.
1: Of course, because, all right, they're getting boreded to say what's going on, but, you know, they, they, they wouldn't really know. They're just pushing hard as, as much as they dare.
2: Yeah. Wow. And they're obviously just hearing the PA at certain points, and they they're, and I know hey. they are, but they're picking me up on stuff and actually saying, especially Hurlings, they'll come back and sort of say, ah, oh, you said that, you said that. That's not right. Oh, wow. Why didn't you do that? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable unbelievable but yeah herlins from the modern era um i i love the kid i, I love the kid his riding is another level um you know he's he's uh, and and now because i've got to know him quite well um, you know it's uh, I, I but you know that's not to favouritise him there's some guyzer is unbelievable um prado is is going to be the next big thing for sure um, and these these kids are just unbelievable. And the, the thing, when people try and compare um, eras of motocross, you can't compare that. I'm sure Dave Thorpe will be the first to agree. You can't compare his era with the, today. No. Because yeah. Thorpe, Thorpe Mallard, people like that, Bay they wouldn't have been able to scrub and do half the things that the kids do now. They wouldn't have been able to do that. And equally... Would hurlings and all been able to ride a five hundred two sixty brake horsepower two stroke for forty minutes? Doubt it. It's a dif- different sport. <laughs> and have a, era,
1: and, have a go and, and have a go at and have a go doubles on it as well. That the thing is yeah. trying to kill him at every corner.
2: Yeah, and would would they stop for a beer on the last lap of the race when they're leading like uh, Carlquist did? <laughs> don't think so. I'd probably uh, be, I'd probably <laughs> it'd probably be drink the beer.
1: it probably be a Red Bull night. <laughs>
2: Exactly, yeah. And then they thank the sponsor. Yeah. but So, uh, it, it, you know, the riders now, um, the things they do, which, you know, unless you see the slow-mo's, you don't realise what they're actually doing on a bike. And, and the stuff that they're doing, the, the scrubbing, the riding, the technique, unbelievable, unbelievable. So yeah, respect to the, the modern era, I, I love it. You, you certainly can't compare. It's, they're all good in their own time.
1: You know, I think the sports kind of riding has is, is evolved, isn't it? Whereas you used to have to manhandle the bike, you know, in previous areas. Now you've got to gel with it. The technical, like you say, the technical ability of some of these guys or what they can do on a bike is absolutely unreal now. And they're, they're encompassing that in a race as well. So, you know, it's all right to go practicing and try and do it, you know, when nobody's watching you, but to do it mid-race and then watch back mid-moto and go, do you know what? I've just seen the most amazing thing on the bike. I didn't think anybody was capable of that. And then we're seeing it in this moment in time. And to me, that's special as well.
2: Well, I, I remember um, 1998 Sheffield Supercross. Um, it was the first proper Supercross over here. And they brought um, Jeremy McGrath and Larry Ward over. Yeah. And uh, we sort of sat there in the crowd. And there's this, by <laughs> today's, um, uh, standards. It was a you know real moderate supercross track, and we're watching them going around go and warming up. And then they, they said, right, well we're just going to let Larry Ward and Jeremy McGrath go around on the you know, on their own on a parade lap before the racing. And they went round and they're doing doubles, triples, and you, the crowd is just thinking, what <laughs> is this? What is happening here? Because we've never seen anything like it. um You look at that now, and, and that would be tame now to see something like that. You'd see that in arena cross now. Yeah. Um, So things move on, things move on for sure. That was unbelievable in 1998. Now, anybody can do that for local practice track.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: So that shows how things move on, you know, and who's to say what it's going to be like in 10 years' time? We'll all be on electric bikes then.
1: We'll be flying by then, mate. We'll be hovering, I reckon.
2: (laughs) Electric bikes, mate, that's the future. Yeah, it is.
0: There we are. So I think that will probably round up episode four then of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, Roger, massive thank you for joining us today. I know it's given you a bit of something to do during this time.
2: Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I'm sorry, I probably uh, ranted on a bit, but uh, you know, it suddenly makes you sit down and focus on uh, on some of the memories and I've had, a, I've had a brilliant career and hopefully I've got a few more years to go. But Um, I've really enjoyed it. So thanks for the opportunity and I hope to see you and everybody else at the races very soon. Brilliant, mate. Couldn't have put it any better myself.
0: There we are. So if you want to stay tuned to the Live Motocross podcast, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You've also got ACAST, SoundCloud and Spotify. We are on all of the platforms now. So make sure you give us a like, share and we'll see you in the next episode.